Greetings, Alpha Seekers. Uh, it's Christmas Eve. So, what is your host doing here in Capital, uh, Nugent Capital? Working. I work every day. Not all day, but every day. It's just another day for the kid here. So, but for those of you who make a big deal out of Christmas, uh, Merry Christmas. All right. So, I'm kind of Scroogeish in my dotage. So, anyway. We bring to you a, uh, I don't know if I would call this a Christmas gift, but there's a fellow named Jan Authors, A-U-T-H-E-R-S, and what a good name for a writer. Uh, you only get to read him if you subscribe to Bloomberg, <clears throat> and it's impossible, at least I haven't figured out, how to uh, cut and paste this stuff or even provide a link to it. Uh so I don't put this stuff out on Alpha's next LinkedIn page, but um, he's really good. It's writing worth reading, folks. So uh, he talks about uh, a phenomenon, which is that the index funds did not do well this year relative to some of the uh, some of the stock pickers and. The reason for that, one of the big reasons, is the Tesla type of stock. You know, these things ran up so high, and they were not in the S&P 500. So if you were doing an S&P 500 index, you weren't participating in that. Now, he doesn't mention the NASDAQ, because I think that's where Tesla is. And yeah, about 50% of assets under management are in passive funds. And cumulative flows, uh, that's also very much skewed toward index funds. 36% uh, of large cap U.S. equity funds were ahead of the Russell 1000, which is just an average year. And uh, if you look at the allocation of the big five stocks, they're not, uh, well, this, I don't, I'm going to skip by this. I don't really understand this point here. But Moderna was a big winner. Zoom, big winner. Uh, these are not included. Tesla, not included in the S&P 500. Uh, Tesla and Zoom had a joint market cap of almost exactly $100 billion and now a combined market value of, of just under $800 billion. So they went up eight times. That's uh, between the two of them, they're as big as Facebook. So lacking Tesla and others is a problem. So the S&P 500 lagged behind the Russell 1000. <clears throat> so he's saying all, all this demonstrates that every investment involves some kind of an active decision and nothing is truly passive. The fact that the epochal switch, switch from active to passive has halted this year, if not reversed, might reflect a growing understanding of this along with some pain for huge funds tied to the S&P 500 
in the performance of Tesla, which I would not have uh, predicted. But now the passive funds are obliged to buy it anyway, so the index can grow to be as influential. No index can grow to be as influential as the S&P now is now without moving the market that it is tracking rather than reflecting it. So, you know, the S&P 500, is, uh, since it takes up like half of the market, you know, it will move the mer- the very market it intends to track, is his, his thought there. Um, now, then he does a thing called the hindsight portfolio. And he's explaining why the trades that, uh, in retrospect, would have been the great ones should have been obvious. And he says, essentially, you only needed to grasp two things. China and the rest of Asia would deal with COVID-19 far better than the West, uh, not because authoritarianism is great. Turkey and Russia had bad records dealing with the virus, but because Asian nations have experience dealing with pandemics because they're so close to China, and that's where these things come from, folks, you know, uh, at risk of being uh, not Mr. Woke person today. That's just the fact, Jack to quote stripes and uh the other thing is there's a confucian tradition of being prepared to trust the authority of government officials and surrender some liberty in the west trust in governments and other institutions is already at historic lows and has a libertarian tradition that sets the bar for government intervention much higher that all should have made it obvious that the virus would be harder to combat um, also, the West would respond to the crisis by printing money and a lot of it, and that's what's happened in this cr- last crisis, the one before that, and the one before that. The main lesson was that central banks learned uh, from the global financial system's near-death experience in 2008 was to act much more quickly and drastically this time. As a result, investors could safely bet that there would be no mass bankruptcies and no stock market collapse. Um, And then all that newly created money would find its way to whatever could make the most profit. So the bailout of long-term capital in 98 went into dot-com stocks, and successive waves of cheap money went into mortgages and then into emerging markets. Therefore, investors needed only to borrow money at virtually zero and pile into investments linked to China and the few monopoly internet platforms that dominate the virtual economy. The implosion of the OPEC oil cartel, making life even easier for China and other oil importers, helped juice this up further. The greater and more worrying question concerns... uh, 2020 hindsight from 10 or 20 years into the future. The pandemic has not turned around or changed any trends in markets or the economy. Rather, it intensified the dynamics that have dominated economic life since the turn of the century. It has deepened inequality, which is the big concern I keep hearing about through the K-shaped recovery, stoked conflict between generations and between countries, and pumped asset prices to levels that seem untenable. What will happen next? And will future generations marvel at our inability 
to see it coming? Well, I don't know. Um, all of that is very interesting, and it is obvious in retrospect, as things always are, I guess, but I don't know what the future holds. So I guess <laughs> what I'd like to do is get a time machine and go to, uh, you know, December 24th, 2021, see what things look like, come back, and then deploy my assets accordingly. But I can't do that. So we'll have to use our limited uh, insight <coughs> into the future. Um, but if I were to make any predictions, I guess what it would be is that you can certainly see uh, carbon being something to get out of and green as something to get into. And I think that TAN ETF I mentioned yesterday is kind of an obvious thing to play. Um, I think there's those cybersecurity recommendations I gave yesterday um, are good things to... Um, there's some long short trades you can make there. Um, there's a thing called Zero Trust Tech, and there's a couple of companies that are big time in that, and so I think those are good ones. And then some of the other security companies that have been found wanting. Um, I mean, you could do a pair trade where you're long one, short the other. But, you know, presumably those companies will pick up on the zero-based thing, zero-trust thing. And I don't really know what that means beyond just the buzzword, but, you know, zero-trust sounds like a pretty good way to approach the world in 2021, especially digitally. Um. <clears throat> Other than that, the CRISPR technology, uh, I read a, or I listened to an interview with this, the best fund manager of 2020, it's a woman who runs a company called ARC, and uh, you can buy, they run like five ETFs, and I think those are definitely worth taking a look at. You know, and she says, look, you know, I was right this year. I could be wrong next year. But um, she's very, very, very much into uh, several different themes and based on technologies and such. So um, she was very, very committed to Tesla. And so as a result, she is uh, there. So, you know, she had a great year. And <clears throat> I think that's uh, somebody to listen to, somebody to watch. And I, if I haven't already, I will put that. I think I actually did. Let me hang on a second. I think I did put that out on Alpha's next. So let's see. Here's a guy that says that there are no busy people, only people who suck at prioritization, which I think is true. You know, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't really need to be done that people focus on. So, <clears throat> let us now turn to chapter one, verse one of, uh, yeah, here it is, Kathy Wood. 
And you know what? I was talking with my uh, my financial. So check that out. Check out that interview. And I don't even know the uh, the ETF symbols, but I'm thinking that's something we're going to be taking a look at here in 2021. Now, there is the argument that the people who do well this year are the ones who won't do well next year. You know, past performance is no uh, predictor of future results. Okay. So you have a view, and it's kind of like putting a sail out. And if the wind is in your sails, then you are the fastest boat. But if you're tacking wrong, then you're dead in the water. So, um, you know, if you've got a view that's bearish for years and the market crashes, then you're going to be right the one year, and then you'll be wrong every other year. So that is... uh, it's not a good idea to go, you know, getting on bandwagons. But I think this uh, Kathy Wood, let me make sure that's her name. Yeah, Kathy Wood, C-A-T-H-I-E, Wood, like chopping wood. Um, I posted this interview from uh, from Bloomberg with her, and very impressive. So I would definitely, if I was going to be, Picking stocks, which I am, in 2021, I'd be looking at her ETFs because I think she's on the right themes that will continue to be winners. And they seem to be pretty nimble, too. So it's not like they're going to stick with things that have petered out. Uh, I posted something about Pfizer and Moderna urging calm as they test uh, vaccines against the UK version uh, mutation of the coronavirus. Not a big deal. I think I went through the Sam Zell thing yesterday, so I won't bother with that. And that's about all I got for you. You know, it's a holiday. So, uh, again, Merry Christmas for those of you who are uh, Christmas celebrators. And I'll be on probably tomorrow, you know, because we we never take a day off here. We're always working. So, anyway, goodbye. I'll live long and prosper.